Here's the thought that I had this week. As I was looking into this passage, as I was discerning, okay, what is God trying to say to us this morning? Jeremy Riddle, a worship pastor down in the States, he wrote this in a book uh, called The Reset that has influenced a lot of this talk. But he writes this, Over the last 60 years, we have seen the worship movement expand and grow in a remarkable and unprecedented ways. Currently, there are more worship songs being written, more worship projects being released, more worship bands playing, and more worship leaders leading than any time in history. Some of the generations before us, he says, dreamed of this day, dreamed of a great revival of worship in the church. But this is what I thought. This is what he came to the conclusion also. Are we missing something? Are we missing something in all of this great music? I don't know if you've been there or experienced the same thing, but I've been to churches or worship concerts where I'm sitting there, the music's great, the band is on point, right? Everybody is in sync. But I sit there thinking to myself, like, where is the power behind this worship? Where is the presence of God, right? God says in his word that he inhabits the praises of his people. But sometimes this past year, I've been sitting in services or worship concerts and wondering, like, could you just switch out whoever's on stage for the Eagles or Taylor Swift? Would it actually matter? Would it make a difference, right? Because this is what I'm getting at. Like, has our worship in 2023 become so convoluted, diluted, corrupted? Have us as the people of God made worship more about industry, platform for celebrity, brands, the swag you get at the conference, performance in the flesh, and really more a, a music that pleases us more so than it pleases God? And yes, I know I'm talking about worship through music this morning. Most Christians, when they talk about worship, that's what they mean. And I know that Paul says in Romans 12, 1, that we need to worship God with all our lives. But when it comes to worship through music, worship through prayer, have we settled for the counterfeit? Counterfeit worship that makes us believe that we're worshiping God, but in actuality, the worship is more about us. It's more about pleasing us than him. I know how many times in this past week or even this past month, I've been in conversations and I've uttered these own words. So I don't think I'm pointing fingers, but I've been in conversations where people are telling me like, oh, I don't really like this song that we sing on Sunday because it doesn't make me feel this way or does, I don't resonate with it. And I get that, right? Me and my wife have conversations all the time when we go visit other churches and we don't like the music. But here's the danger with that type of comment. Like counterfeit money that looks like the real thing, right? Most people can't tell the difference. I worked at the bank of the Royal Bank of Canada for a long time in my 20s, and they taught you how to recognize counterfeit bills because it's just so easy to slip them in there. So like counterfeit money, like in our world that has no power, right? Counterfeit money in our world has no worth. Could it be at times without knowing it, we've been involved in counterfeit worship that has no power and no worth in so insofar as God is concerned. A.W. Tozer, a theologian, a writer, a pastor that has influenced so much of my view on worship, writes this, anybody can worship anything. 
But if the worship doesn't rise to the level of pleasing God, it's not authentic. It's not real worship. It's not true worship. So here's the question that I want to ask this morning, want to answer this morning. I want to stir our hearts with this question. What is authentic worship? What is worship that is pleasing to God? What is worship that rends heaven, that pleases God in a way that makes his manifest presence known to us, his face shine upon us? Because whether wherever authentic worship is happening, where God is worshiped in spirit and in truth, we know his kingdom is breaking in, is established, his freedom reigns, the works of the devil are destroyed in that place. As I've heard it said, pure praise has always been a weapon of mass destruction to the kingdom of darkness. What if authentic worship is the key to see a move of God in our church as we move into the future, in our generation, to literally push back the influence of the enemy in our city? And this morning, as we continue to establish community here at Port Kells Church, as we continue to establish culture, I want us to understand this. Without authentic worship, we won't see the presence of God work amongst us. And without God, we can't do anything that we set out to do this year, this coming fall. This story that we just read is a familiar story to a lot of us in this room. It's so familiar to the biblical authors that all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all include this story. To set the scene, uh, if you were with us last week, we just talked about, you know, Jesus coming into the city, his triumphal entry, right? This happens right after that. During this Passover festival, we find Jesus reclining at the table of a man named Simon. Matthew in his Gospel tells us that he's a Pharisee, but Mark, really, all he's trying to highlight, all he wants us to get is that he was a man that was healed of leprosy. He used to be a leper, but not anymore because Jesus healed him. So this dinner could be a dinner to say thank you, to honor Jesus, a meal that expresses Simon's gratitude to Jesus. John, in his gospel, he tells us who else is in the room. He says that Lazarus, who Jesus raised from the dead, was in the room. The disciples are in the room. Martha is serving them, he says. And he also tells us, reveals to us the name of this woman that bursts into this moment that becomes the focal point of the story, anoints Jesus from head to toe. This woman's name was Mary. Mary, the sister of Lazarus, a devout follower of Jesus. And with one extravagant act of worship, she steals the show. And I believe it reveals to us this morning what authentic worship truly looks like. And that is this. Authentic worship is costly. Authentic worship is costly. Verse 3 reads again. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. This act of worship wasn't just spontaneous or extravagant. It literally was costly. Some scholars say this nard, this perfume that came from a place in India was worth 300 denarii. And I know to me and you that makes 
no difference or doesn't really relate. Or we don't know what he means when he writes that. But really, to understand in this culture, if you worked a day, you would make one denarii. So 300 denarii is a whole year's salary that is spilt all over Jesus in this moment. To fully understand this act of worship, we need to understand that back in this culture, uh, women mostly were excluded from careers that could afford her the possibility of earning this kind of money to attain an object of such high value. So scholars say that it, this must be a family heirloom of some sort passed on to her. A status symbol in this culture of wealth. It must have had tremendous sentimental value to this woman, not just monetary value. And by smashing this alabaster jar in this moment, by breaking the neck and pouring it out, she's communicating to Jesus the totality of her gift. I don't know how much uh, you make a year, and I'm not going to ask you, but just imagine someone walking into this room and just in a moment, spending it all in one act. It says uh, that the average Canadian salary is about 55K, okay? So in one moment, 55K, burnt up, gone. In one act, what would you think? If you're sitting in that room, what would you be feeling in that moment? This was the question I was asking myself this week. What would I say? And to be honest with you, the conclusion I came to, maybe you would resonate. I would say like these disciples said in verse 4, what a waste. Right? What a waste. They say in verse 4, some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. In the original language, it indicates they snorted their indignation at her like angry horses. How humiliating, right? Mark just lists these people as some people, but the other gospels name uh, the people as the disciples, or some say it's Simon who was thinking this to himself, or Judas I think it's safe to say that probably everyone in the room, if they didn't say it with their words, were probably thinking it in their minds and their hearts in that moment, looking down at this woman, demeaning this woman. But here's the thing that I believe. I believe that in this moment, as they were doing this to her, as they were trying to humiliate her, Mary did not care. Mary did not care before she walked into this room. Mary did not care during this act of worship. And Mary did not care after. Why? Because she came in with a one-track mind. She saw a moment to express to Jesus how much she adored him. How much she loved him. She saw a moment and she took it to show Jesus how much she meant to him. She was there to worship Jesus and that was it. And just in case you're new to Christianity, or maybe you don't even follow Jesus, when I say worship, this is what I mean. To throw out a couple definitions, Harold Best says it like this, worship is the continuous outpouring of all that I am, all that I do, and all that I can ever become in light of chosen or a choosing God. Here's another one. Christian worship is the response of God's redeemed people to his self-revelation that exalts God's glory in Christ in our minds, affections, 
and wills and the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's one of my favorite ones by Eugene Peterson. Worship is an act, get this, that develops feelings for God, not a feeling for God that is expressed in an act of worship. Mary's act of worship was authentic. Why? Because it cost her everything. In this moment, it cost her her dignity. It cost her her status. It cost her her comfort. It cost her her literal money. And although I know it's a, it's a simple idea, right? Authentic worship is costly. For us living in this day and age, as followers of Jesus, we just don't think like this, do we? I know I don't think like this. A lot of the times when it comes to uh, worship, we don't think it should cost us anything, do we? In fact, nowadays, if, if, worship, if worship or coming to a worship service costs us anything, particularly our convenience or comfort or preference, sometimes we don't even show up. Most of us coming into a Sunday morning instead of thinking what can we give in this moment of worship are more looking to see what can we receive in this moment, right? I'll be the first one to admit that when I've come to a Sunday and been in the, the seats like you have. That's what's going through my mind. Thoughts like, okay, is this song resonating with me? How is this song making me feel, right? Is it encouraging me? Am I being fed? Did the worship move me? And sometimes until it does, little, rarely most of us would raise a hand or act in some sort of way of worship, let alone break a bottle of perfume and shatter it on the floor like this woman did. A lot of us show up to Sunday not to give, but to get. And let's be honest, when you have that type of mindset in an environment, whatever worship mindset uh, environment it's in, we, we act like these disciples. We respond like these disciples in this moment. They're rebuking her, demeaning her. The Gospel of John says other followers of Jesus are looking down at this act of worship. But friends, authentic worship, true worship, real worship will cost us something. It might cost us our preference. It might cost us our comfort. It might cost us money. It might cost us our reputation or influence, the way people perceive us. But if we're truly worshiping Jesus, our worship and our worship is authentic, just like this woman, we won't care. We won't care. You know, I grew up in a lot of uh, conservative churches growing up. And sometimes when I, I worship or talk about worship or uh, you see me worship, a lot of people that get to know me think that I came from a more maybe Pentecostal or charismatic background, but I didn't. I grew up serving and working and um, attending Mennonite churches or Baptist churches. And I remember one time uh, as I came into ministry, you know, I, I realized how self-conscious I was in worship. And I was serving at this one church and a lot of times it was really hard for me to raise my hands in worship. And there'd be like this inner struggle going on, you know, it's the, for such a simple act of like, I, I don't, I, I don't want to raise my hands to call attention to myself, right? And I had this constant struggle. 
Until this one point in time where I know God was working in my heart that like I just did not care anymore. And God at that time and season in my ministry brought a friend into my life that didn't care also. And you know, it only takes one other person to build up the courage to just express yourself however you would like in a worship service, right? And I remember there's this picture that I love that is somewhere on the internet. And there's like 800 people in this room and it's dark and, you know, the production lights on the stage are blaring. And all you can see in this room that is packed to the brim is me and my buddy on the front row, two of us, hands raised up. And we're the only two people in the whole room with our hands raised. And I know to you, like, you know, that's like, Ben, you're like, that's such a small thing, right? That didn't cost you much. I could stand here and tell you story of story of times where I gave up jobs to follow Jesus. Gave up speaking engagements, gave up money, gave up tons of things. And I could go on and on. But this is what I want you to get. Whatever it is, whatever the act of worship that God is calling you to do. Because I want you to realize that what Jesus said is she could do all she could do. Her act of worship wasn't supposed to be applied to everybody in the room, but she could do what she felt God was calling her to do. And what God is calling you to do, what God is calling you to sacrifice, what it may cost you when it comes to your worship, I don't know what that is. But if we're open to the Holy Spirit, he will let you know. He will reveal that to you. But I'll tell you this, friends, you will only do it. You will only step into it. You will only not care what other people think when you are gripped in your heart with what gripped this woman's heart, and that is this, the extravagant, insurmountable worth of knowing Jesus. To her, Jesus was worth it. It didn't matter to her what it cost her, because Jesus was worth it. See, the sad thing about it is the disciples don't realize this, but as they're demeaning the woman, as they're saying, what a waste, they're actually demeaning Jesus. They're actually saying without saying that Jesus is not worthy of such extravagance. And here's the thing. Jesus is not trying to debate with them if they should help the poor or not help the poor. What Jesus is trying to get them to see is that order matters. Priorities matter. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, we're first and foremost called to love God, then our neighbor. Priority matters. God is always first in our lives. He always needs to be our first priority because what we value more than anything else is actually what we worship. What we put in that first priority slot in our lives is actually what we worship. But this woman has her priorities right. That's what Jesus is commending. That's what brings pleasure to God in this moment. I can imagine in my mind in this scene that Jesus is looking at her as he says the line in verse four, she has done a beautiful thing for me. She, she gets it. Like Paul says, she gets this in Philippians 3, 7, 8. He puts it like this, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain 
Christ. See, when you understand the surpassing worth, the extraordinary, incomprehensible, incommensurable worth of knowing Jesus, you don't care what it costs. You don't care what he asks of you. You will gladly give it. You will gladly pour it out at the feet of Jesus in one act of worship. But this only happens when the gospel grips your heart. This only happens when the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to the beauty of the gospel. You surrender yourself to that act of love because we love because he first loved us. And we need to realize this authentic worship is always compelled by love. Worship is always a response. One theologian puts it like this. Just as you can't exhale before you have first inhaled, so it is in our worship of God. Before I have anything to offer him, I must first receive from him. The God who breathed life into Adam now breathes the life of his son Jesus into his children, us, as he bestows on us all of Christ's benefits. Filled with that breath, that ruach, the Holy Spirit, we can't help but ex exhale the thanks and praise that flow from a cleansed heart. Although at times in this culture, you know, it's customary to anoint your guests, or it, it was known that it's customary to anoint the king. Jesus says in verse 8, actually, she did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare me for burial. This woman's act is prophetic because it's pointing forward to his burial. Jesus said she doesn't know what she's doing fully, but this act is ultimately pointing to the ultimate act of love. For in this moment, although the woman poured out her perfume on the cross, Jesus was going to pour out his blood. On the cross, the forsaken Jesus revealed that what looked like defeat was actually love triumphing over the cause of all human shame, all human humiliation, all human enslavement. That is sin. The dominion of darkness and the world's false systems. And through his death and resurrection, we once again commune with him in a way that not even Mary knew in this moment. Do you get that? Jesus was in front of her in this moment, but through the Holy Spirit, now, if you have given your life to Jesus, he now dwells inside of you and you know him in a way that Mary could only imagine. And it's this act of love that compels us to respond in worship. But it's only when you receive this free gift of grace that you actually worship in an authentic way. You actually get what this woman is doing. You actually understand that when you enter into worship, it will cost you everything, but you do not care. I end with this as one author puts it, for those of us who get it, when it comes to pure worship, pure worship has nothing to gain in the realm of popularity. It could care less. Pure worship, authentic worship, it only hopes to touch the heart, to win the heart of the one it is worshiping. It's never driven by the benefit it gets. It is so blinded by the depths of its love, it cannot possibly adhere to what the social norms of the day deem to be quote-unquote acceptable. Pure worship is slowly 
driven by the mindset of, I have to let you know, I have to communicate to you somehow, some way, how much you mean to me, how much you've touched my life. It's extreme. It will go to any length and pay any cost to demonstrate the depths of his love and gratitude. So friends, this morning, I got one question for you. Have your eyes been opened up to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus? To being in a relationship with the Lord and God of the universe who left his throne in heaven to come down to this earth, to take your place on the cross, die for your sins, for my sins, to make a way for us to come into a relationship with him once again. Why? Because he saw as, as worth it. God models for us what he calls us to do in worship. He gave everything for me and you. So in order for us to see a model for us when we come into a moment of worship, he doesn't ask from you that which he hasn't already given. Do you understand that, my friends, this morning? So as Logan leads us in response, here are a couple of questions that I want us to reflect on. Here are a couple of questions I ask you to sit there and ponder and ask the Holy Spirit to maybe reveal to you this morning the answers. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, does your worship cost you something? Does your worship cost you something? You know, too many times in my life I realize like, I'm just too comfortable coming into a worship service or doing something for God. Like, I don't even think about what it costs me anymore. You know, how in the Western church, have we become too comfortable? Has convenience become an idol? Has taken first priority or a something that we value more than Jesus in our lives? We need to ask ourselves that question. Does our worship cost us something? And maybe it does. Maybe it has cost you something. Maybe following Jesus in your life, making that decision has cost you family or friends or a job. If so, don't see it as loss, but see it as gain, as Paul says. And the final question, is there something in your life that you value more than Jesus in this moment. Be honest with yourself. Is there something in your life that you value more than Jesus in this moment? See, an idol is simply a good thing that becomes a God thing in our lives. It could be our family. It could be our career. It could be our money. It could be whatever. It could be good things that God has blessed us with that slowly slip into the, fate, the place of of first, a priority in our lives. If the Holy Spirit asks and reveals that thing to you, would you repent of that thing? Would you lay it at the feet of Jesus this morning? Because I could tell you this, friends, when that's happened in my life and every time God's called me to obedience and I've done that act, it's been worth it. hundred times full. It's worth it. So let's pray.